the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to shift gears and talk about Western Sahara with, uh, um, oh, we'd have to uh, refer to my guest this hour as uh, a leading scholar of the Middle East and North Africa who's literally written the book on Western Sahara. In fact, he's just recently updated his book, Western Sahara, War, Nationalism, and Conflict Irresolution by Stephen Zunas, who joins me by phone. Stephen, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. Stephen, why do we seem to know more about sub-Saharan Africa than we do Western Sahara? Well, Northwest Africa as a whole, uh, also known as the Maghreb, uh, kind of falls off the charts because people concerned with the Middle East look at places more to the uh, east. People who are concerned more about Africa look at places to the south. And it tends tends to get uh, you know left off the map in and, and, and more ways than one. Um, but uh, it's important to know about, not just because of uh, the people involved uh, that, who are suffering under this uh, brutal military occupation by Morocco, uh, but the fact that Morocco is getting way with this, you know, and with uh, U.S. support is, has serious ramifications for the whole international world order. You know, it raises the whole question. The same thing we're talking about right now vis-a-vis the Russians and Ukraine you know how you know, it, 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 it's not right for a country to um, expand its borders by force. A lot of um, U.S. Uh, involvement in in global conflict has has stayed fairly centered in the Middle East, and I've heard people, I've I've talked to a couple of writers recently who suggest we should be shifting our focus more into Asia. Is, do you agree with that assessment, or are we completely missing a very important piece on the board? Well, I mean, uh, there are certain strategic rationales, I think, for uh, putting more attention on East Asia, given the uh, growing uh, um, economic and military power of China, uh, their increased trade uh, with the nations there, and, and all that. Uh, but uh, you know, the problem with Western Sahara is 
is not as much the, the matter of the United States not putting uh, enough attention on it, but more along the lines that uh, what we have done is counterproductive. Uh, the United States is the only country in the world uh, that has uh, rec formally recognized uh, Morocco's annexation uh, of that uh, country, which they seized by military force in 1975, just as it was on the verge of receiving independence from Spain, the, the colonial power. And it... Um, and this is something that, that uh, President Trump did in the final weeks of his office. Uh, most of us assume that uh, Joe Biden, who is more of an institutionalist, who's less prone to such impulsive action, who's, who, um, you know, who would not want to see the United States as an outlier in the, United, in the, in the international community like that, uh, would soon reverse it. But he hasn't. Um, I mean, you look at State Department maps, they show it as one country. I mean, if you look at Google or Rand McNally or National Geographic or, or the United Nations or anywhere else, you see them as two separate countries or, 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 or at least, you know, uh, Western Sahara with hash lines or something showing that it's uh, uh, occupied or at least um, uh, three-quarters of the country is currently occupied. But um, the, the, the uh, but, um, you know, by... By giving this recognition, uh, we have basically given a green light to aggressors, you know, saying that, hey, if you, um, uh, if, um, if you go and, and invade another country, at least if you're an ally of the United States, um, we'll, we'll endorse you. We'll let you um, uh, get away with it. And I think that, that's a real, real, real problem because I think uh, uh, the, um, uh, you know, it makes it very hard to stand up to potential Russian or Chinese uh, aggression if we take this kind of position you know, with our allies. So, in other words, you know, what we do in one part of the world uh, does impact uh, what we can do in other parts of the world, including uh, uh, such areas as uh, East Asia. Why would, was there a stated uh, rationale or strategy by Donald Trump or the Trump administration in those final days in, in taking that action? Well, it appears it has been a part of an effort to get uh, Morocco to formally recognize Israel. Um, Trump pushed this idea called the um, Abraham Accords, where he pressured um, you know, various uh, um, monarchies, uh, and, uh, or in the case of um, Sudan, a military-dominated regime, uh, to... Uh, uh, to recognize uh, Israel in the case of um, of uh, Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, he promised those dictatorships additional arms sales. Uh, in the case of Sudan, he uh, offered to um, uh, list them uh, from the uh, list of state sponsors of terrorism, which would uh, uh, which prohibited a lot of U.S. Uh, uh, aid and investment. And in the case of Morocco. He got them to uh, recognize uh, Israel in return for the U.S. recognizing their annexation of Western Sahara. Now, I'm all for peace with Israel, and I'm, and that's a good thing. But I, 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 I but to to sort of uh, tie it to things, uh, to, to essentially bribery and extortion, which was this case was was somewhat more uh, more controversial. And the um, and again the the the, the, the this, this precedent um, is is very uh, very disturbing. 
Uh, of course, we know that Israel um, has annexed and, and wants to annex uh, some of the territories that it has it seized uh, in in, uh, in previous wars. Uh, but uh, the but I think perhaps uh, Biden feels somewhat constrained because if he um, uh, annulled uh, the or rescinded the um, Trump's uh, recognition, uh, some people fear that Morocco would. Um, uh, withdraw its recognition of Israel, and he'd therefore be accused of abandoning Israel and that kind of thing. Though in reality, what's, what's interesting is some of the biggest supporters of Israel in Congress, you know, think of uh, Elliot Engel, the former chair of the House Foreign Relations Committee, uh, Jim Inhofe, who's a, uh, actually a conservative Republican senator uh, from uh, um, Oklahoma, a ranking senator on the um, uh, foreign, on the um, Armed Services Committee, you know, they're big supporters of Israel, but they very much oppose this particular kind of quid pro quo uh, as as well uh, because of its uh, a dangerous destabilizing precedent. So does that mean that there there is a way of, of considering Trump's acti- actions as having been effective to some degree? I mean, in in, a, in in one sense, if you um, if you see formal recognition by Morocco of Israel as a priority, but let's remember that you know Morocco is, has never been at war with uh, Israel. Uh, they have been had quiet diplomacy with Israel going way back to the 1970s before um, any other Arab country uh, would consider uh, doing so. Uh, there's been um, economic and strategic cooperation, usually under the table, uh, but uh, it, it's not like uh, the, the formal recognition has uh, been a big shift in terms of uh, Israel's uh, uh, security interest or anything like that. It was, um, uh, and again, that's why you know, even many strong supporters of Israel uh, question uh, whether this was really necessary. What is the... the um importance of Western Sahara to Morocco? Well, the initial invasion in 1975 came at a time when the uh, king uh, was under a lot of pressure. You know, if you look back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, there had been a series of of military coups against monarchies by these left-leaning nationalist uh, military officers. We saw that in Egypt and Iraq and in Libya, and uh, many fear that Morocco would be next on the list. Indeed, there were two coup attempts against the king that were almost successful. And I, I think that his his um, effort to take over Western Sahara was a means of playing the nationalist card, you know, to get people to rally around the flag as they, uh, they um, uh, <clears throat> liberated the southern territories, as they called it. I mean, as with Iraq and Kuwait, you know, back in 1991, um, Morocco has this dubious claim that the uh, small uh, uh, country to their south is historically part of their country and uh, was uh, severed by the machinations of colonialism, that kind of thing. Um, as with Saddam Hussein's claims, uh, that these are, are highly dubious, but at least it was the national myth that uh, King Hassan uh, wanted to uh, use to, to justify uh, the takeover. Um, and it was also a, a way of getting the army as far away from Rabat, the capital, as possible, so they wouldn't try to stage another coup. But, I, but more recently, um, you know, a major factor has been the fact that uh, um, 
Western Sahara is the home of some of the largest phosphate uh, deposits in the world, which along with uh, Morocco's already large uh, phosphate deposits, uh, gives them a pretty substantial uh, percentage of the global market uh, for this uh, um, vital mineral that's important for uh, uh, agriculture in terms of making uh, uh, fertilizer and the like. In addition, some of the richest fishing grounds in the world are right off the coast of, um, uh, of Western Sahara. And the, the, the generals, uh, the, these top uh, military officers who have um, overseen the uh, rather brutal military occupation over these years, uh, many of them have uh, direct financial stakes in some of these uh, um, uh, these uh, uh, economic uh, ventures uh, that are indeed quite uh, quite profitable, and so you know they definitely have incentive to uh, to uh, hang on to the territory, uh, particularly since um, uh, you know, France and the uh, United States and on the uh, UN General uh, Security on the UN Security Council have blocked. Uh, the enforcement of uh, UN re um, resolutions calling for Morocco's withdrawal. I mean, Morocco's takeover of that country is flagrantly uh, illegal. It violated the UN Charter. It violated a series of UN Security Council resolutions and a landmark decision by the International Court of Justice. But as, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, the United Nations uh, cannot enforce uh, its uh, resolutions unless they have the agreement of the um, a permanent veto-wielding powers, and France and the United States, uh, as allies of Morocco, have uh, blocked the UN from uh, actually uh, enforcing its resolutions. Is there any kind of justification for occupation of West Sahara? Was it ever um, linked with, uh, with Morocco in a way that uh, people could claim it was reunification? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty weak case, frankly. I mean, the Moroccans basically say that there were some uh, nomadic tribal groups in that area that pledged fealty to the sultan. Uh, this is way back in the 19th century. Um, they, in fact, you know, they took that argument before the uh, World Court in The Hague, and they, the the, the um, World Court, also known as, uh, formerly known as the International Court of Justice, uh, considered it and and said uh, basically that um, this does not co constitute sovereignty. And as a as a colony, uh, as a colony of Spain, all colonies that are um, uh, have the right of self determination, and that uh, you know self determination uh, by de uh, definition includes the option of independence. And you know, so there, the, the proposal put down by the uh, United Nations was that there would be an internationally supervised referendum by the people of Western Sahara uh, to see if they wanted to be incorporated into Morocco or have their own independent state. But uh, uh, and, and indeed, the United Nations set up a special uh, peacekeeping force to oversee the referendum. Uh, the Polisario, the nationalist movement that's been fighting for uh, independence, um, agreed to uh, lay down their arms and to take part in this referendum, but Morocco kept blocking it. They tried to stack the voter rolls with Moroccan settlers and did all sorts of things to, to make it impossible to take place. And then, as I noted, uh, France and the United States refused to uh, um, uh, 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 pressure Morocco to... Uh, I'll go with its end of the bargain. And, Stephen, uh, 
And I, so the S- referendum never took place. Stephen, I hate to interrupt, but I have to put a comma here. I have to take a short break. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? I'll be happy to. Excellent. My guest is uh, Stephen Zunas, and uh, we're talking about Western Sahara, which will continue after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we Hello, go. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. 
And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about uh, West... Uh, let me see. How, I want to make sure I say this right. Western Sahara with uh, Middle East and North Africa leading scholar and author of the book on Western Sahara, uh, Stephen Zunas, who joins me by phone. Stephen, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no problem. Great to be with you. Uh, um, during the, the uh, last segment, we were talking a little bit about Western Sahara, which is not as well known, not paid as much attention to as uh, other parts of the region. Um, and you said its its significance was it's it sounded basically like its its main significance was um, that that Morocco was able to. Um, basically pillage it for uh, resources in in phosphates and uh, the fishing industry is there um, any any political or or other strategic value of uh, western sahara well part of it, uh, it is it involves the uh, long geopolitical rivalry that morocco has with its neighbor algeria um, Algeria is a big supporter of uh, Western Saharan independence. They uh, support the uh, Polisario Front, which is the uh, national liberation uh, movement, uh, uh, which um, controls uh, about uh, 25% of, of the country uh, and uh, about a similar per- and about a third of the population who uh, live in refugee camps in the western part of uh, Algeria, where that they have, the, the Algerian government has given the um, Polisario effective autonomy in terms of, uh, of uh, their domestic affairs. You know, the um, uh, Western Sahara is formally known as the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic. It's been recognized by over 80 countries. It's a full member of the uh, African Union, formerly known as the Organization of African Unity. And, uh, you know, this is, of course, what has... Um, uh, made the U.S. recognition of Morocco's takeover particularly controversial because essentially the United States is recognizing the takeover of one um, uh, uh, recognized African state by another. And it has brought huge protests from uh, African countries and uh, other countries around the world. Um, but the um, in many ways, the uh, the, the, the Moroccans uh, see this as part of this uh, you know geopolitical uh, uh, rivalry, uh, having a, a expanded uh, territory down the Atlantic coast, uh, having um, you know, access to these uh, the, these resources, you know, strengthens it uh, vis-a-vis uh, Algeria. I mean, the hostility between the two countries is, is quite uh, quite strong. Um, Morocco actually invaded Western Algeria back in 1963, right after uh, Algeria's independence from. From France, uh, they were pushed back, but uh, tensions have remained high. Uh, it is about the only uh, border besides uh, 
uh, North and South Korea, where you know, it's, it's impossible to um, get from one to the other uh, by land. You have to go by boat or, or by, by plane. Uh, and you know some people you know fear that uh, you know war could break out again. So there's um, a you know a lot of tension around here. I mean Moroccans have claimed that the Polisario, the independence movement, are simply puppets of Algeria. And while you know they're certainly dependent a lot on on Algeria's uh, military and financial and diplomatic support, uh, there are very there is very there there are indigenous movement. I mean, if Algeria withdrew its support tomorrow, it would be a big setback, but the struggle would continue. In fact, Algeria supported a rival independence group uh, back in the 70s when when things first started going there. Um, so uh, I don't want to exaggerate the Algerian uh, part of the equation, but uh, certainly that is uh, one issue that is of, of, of concern of the uh, Moroccans. Well, and as you pointed out earlier, Stephen, um, lame duck President Donald Trump, just just a little over a year ago, became the first and only member of the international community to formally recognize Morocco in a maneuver to get Morocco to recognize Israel. And then you were surprised that um, that current president, uh, Joe Biden, didn't rescind that, um, that recognition. Why wouldn't he, and why has the U.S., um, really just had a hands-off approach to Morocco and their treatment of West Sahara? Well, well, the Biden administration, you know, by by many measures, being a, a lot more responsible than the uh, Trump administration on some areas in terms of uh, international relations, is still one that's gotten some criticism, especially from uh, uh, more liberal circles uh, for... Um, a, a number of policies, including supporting these uh, dictatorial regimes, you know, like 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 Egypt, uh, which gets large amounts of U.S. foreign aid despite savage repression, tens of thousands of nonviolent political prisoners, of course, support for Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and their terror bombing of of, of Yemen, um, uh, supporting some of the more uh, you know controversial moves by Israel's right wing uh, government, and of course, Biden was among the minority of. Uh, Democrats who who supported the um, U.S. invasion of Iraq. So uh, Biden has has, uh, has uh, foreign policy has not been uh, as um, supportive of human rights, international law as as as, as many of his fellow Democrats, and uh, and so in certain ways it's not that surprising, I suppose, that he was. Is, uh, well, you a, you called you called President Biden an institutionalist. And I wonder if if that, in and of itself, isn't isn't sort of suggesting that the the president has a tendency to stick to the status quo. Yes, in certain ways. Except you know the the original status quo was that you um uh you know support uh, international law, <laughs> and that's sort of the de facto uh, position uh, that. Uh, he that uh, um, again, you know, under both Republican and Democratic administrations, going way back to 1975 when Morocco first uh, in, invaded Western Sahara, the United States is generally tilted towards Morocco because it is traditionally a pro-Western ally. They allied with the United States during the Cold War. 
They've uh, been uh, supportive of the United States and the uh, so-called war on terror. Uh, but but generally, they, you know, most most presidents, even the pro most pro-Moroccan ones, uh, like uh, like uh, Ronald Reagan and George uh, W. Bush and, and Bill Clinton, uh, have all been uh, you know, didn't didn't want to go as far as formal recognition because they were concerned about this uh, dangerous precedent uh, that it would um, represent. So in, in in certain so I actually am somewhat uh, surprised that. Uh, um, Biden would take this position. Now, what's interesting about it, though, is that um, they, he, the, the Biden administration has not formally um, uh, said that it, um, it, it, it has not, not, not formally said it, 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 it is recognizing this uh, occupation, but it's, it hasn't rescinded it either. In fact, uh, Secretary of State Blinken has been been asked directly on that question. He's been totally evasive about, oh, we support the peace process at the United Nations. But of course, the uh, Moroccans' have position is, well, now that the United States has recognized it's the most powerful country in the world, why should we negotiate? We'll never allow them independence. We'll never allow them self-determination. Uh, but uh, the... Um, but if you look, but again, uh, the, if you look at the uh, uh, the U.S. government maps, you know, again, there's no, um, no distinction. Uh, the um, uh, The uh, embassy in in Rabat, the Moroccan capital, has traveled down to uh, Western Sahara, acting as if it's part of Morocco. Um, so, you know, it, it, despite a, a formal uh, affirmation, <laughs> despite the lack of a formal affirmation of Trump's decision, again, the de facto position you know, seems to be to uh, to to, um, to to recognize it. Though, interestingly, there are efforts in the U.S. Senate. Uh, to uh, try to and uh, in, in the um, foreign appropriations bill uh, to block funding for a U.S. embassy uh, in Dakla, which is in the occupied uh, um, uh, territory, and try to make some distinction uh, between the two. Interesting, it's a bipartisan effort and includes um, uh, prominent liberal Democrats like Patrick Leahy, as well as prominent conservative Republicans like like James Inhofe. Um, again, Biden's policy is is, is controversial uh, across the aisle. Uh, but so far, they've been unsuccessful in, in getting the administration to um, uh, to renounce uh, the uh, uh, recognition. Well, when the Biden administration says they're um, supporting the peace effort at the U.N., um, does that mean that there is, in fact, a peace effort at the U.N.? Well, the um, uh, the uh, no, it's a good good question. There there has been an on and off uh, effort at the UN. The United uh, Nations has appointed a number of uh, special envoys. In fact, uh, the the longest serving one was none other than James Baker, who many of your listeners may remember uh, as the um, uh, uh, former U.S. Uh, uh, White House Chief of Staff, former Secretary of Treasury, and most notably the, the former U.S. Secretary of State under George H.W. Bush. And um, uh, James Baker actually uh, negotiated what appeared to be a, a process to move forward on the referendum. Uh, Morocco rejected it. Um, the uh, U.S. government uh, didn't do anything to, to pressure Morocco. Then he, he, he worked out a deal where there could be um, uh, a, a degree of, of uh, autonomy uh, for a time uh, and even allow some of the Moroccan settlers to vote. Um, but even with that, the uh, Moroccans rejected it. And, and 
when uh, the Moroccans rejected it and the uh, the uh, younger Bush administration in 2002 said refused to uh, rec- uh to uh, pressure Morocco to do so and and in fact uh uh, gave uh, Morocco major non-NATO ally status, which is a coveted position only a handful of countries like Israel, Japan, uh, you know, have, and, uh, and 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 incorporated them in a free trade agreement. Uh, uh, Baker ended up uh, re- resigning in, in in protest because, you know, without uh, the uh, support of the uh, U.S. government, it was clear that his compromise um, plans are we're not, we're not going to go anywhere. Is there? Um well let me let me see if i can if i can set this up most of the activity by the us in africa in the middle east um even in eastern parts of europe um and and now possibly asia are generally part of this this sort of global chess game um geopolitically is is there a move or a set of moves that should be um, implemented that might include recognition of of sovereignty and freedom for Western Sahara? Well, it would would seem to be very much in the U.S. interest to do so. I mean, the Polisario Front. Uh, and and the, I guess the, what I'm getting by that, and, and I'm asking you to sort of analyze this, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot too much, Stephen, but is it is it possible that Biden and or members of his administration are considering some some bigger move that would um, that would include Western Sahara and and that may be why they're so quiet about rescinding Trump's action you know from all indications i see they're basically trying to kick the can down the road i really don't <laughs> think there's any grander well, strategy there's al- here there's always and, that yeah and 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 and, and the, i mean it's, it's tragic too because the polisario front uh the, the nationalist uh, movement uh, that that we analyze in our book uh is actually a a, a secular nationalist organization they are not uh they are not islamist uh they are not marxist uh, you know they are actually quite moderate in their politics. Um, oh, the the Sahrawi culture, which is different than Moroccan culture. I mean, they're they're both. Uh, I mean, they're technically they're both uh, Arabs. Or they're both Sunni Muslims, but uh, the Sahrawi speak a a, a a a totally different dialect and and unique culture, dress, history. Uh, but one of the, one of the hallmarks is that uh, they they. Um, they, though devoutly religious and observant in their religiosity, uh, they they practice a rather liberal form of Islam. Women have equal rights to inheritance and divorce. They keep their maiden names. Um, you know, people figure that you know your relationship with with God is between you and God, not what the state should tell it to, <laughs> tell it to be. So, in other words, you know, the United States says we want a Middle East, we want an Islamic world that that uh, that is is not not a fundamentalist, which is not uh, violent. You know, Pasar has never engaged in terrorism, despite the many years of armed struggle. You know, it would seem like an independent Western Sahara would be just the kind of a, of country that the United States would like to see emerge in that part of the world. But instead, we're supporting this uh, really uh, repressive uh, monarchy. Uh, in fact, the human rights situation in Western Sahara is among the worst in the world. A Freedom House ranks in terms in, in its rankings of political rights puts occupied Western Sahara 
um, uh, ahead of only Syria. Out of 210 countries, the second worst in the world, uh, only to Syria in terms of the level of political repression. And indeed, I've you know, I, I've visited, I've been to 85 countries, including Iraq under Saddam and Indonesia under Suharto, and I've never seen a worse police state than, than Moroccan-occupied Western Sahara. And so it really would seem to behoove the United States, if we really do support democracy like we claim we do, if we do really do um, uh, uh, oppose um, uh, Islamic extremism and, and, and terrorism, that it would be very much in our interest to... Um, uh, and our support for the Moroccan occupation, but uh, unfortunately, the, uh, despite uh, bipartisan uh, pressure, uh, as well as pressure from the international community, the, the Biden administration is refusing to budge. Is there something strategically important about Morocco that has um, caused... Um, a preference for them over Western Sahara? Well, I mean, Morocco has had a long uh, history of good relations with the United States. In fact, it was one of the very first countries in the world to formally recognize the uh, United States way back in the uh, 1787. Um, they, uh, uh, <clears throat> they're just 12 miles from Europe, you know, on the other side of the Straits of, uh, of Gibraltar. Um, so certainly a strategically uh, located in that northwestern corner of Africa, and like a lot of conservative monarchies, uh, they they tend to um, um, ally uh, with the West on a, a lot of a lot of issues. Uh, but uh, I, I so one can certainly see uh, the the more classic realpolitik strategic arguments there, but I I do believe it's short-sighted, you know, given that. Uh, um, Western Sahara, you know, would be a more a democratic, uh, um, uh, would be a good democratic model if we allowed it to take place. And the, the concerns I mentioned earlier about the dangerous precedent of allow, allowing for the uh, expansion of territory um, uh, by force. And of course, you know, one can, um, you know, just as one can oppose the Israeli occupation without opposing Israel, one can certainly oppose the Moroccan occupation uh, without um, uh, opposing opposing Morocco. I. I, I think we could still have a, a decent relations uh, with that country, uh, and even uh, if we took a, a firmer stand in support of uh, international law. And and what would that take? Um, well, I, I think, I mean, on a practical level, we could uh, 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 stop threatening to veto our resolutions in the UN Security Council to to uh, 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 to end the occupation. We could. Um, suspend uh, some of our military aid. Um, we could would uh, France uh, go along with 80, that? We could we could join the more than eighty countries that had reckon, formally recognized the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic. Um, would France go of, along uh, with that too? I'm sorry. Would France go along with that too? Um, uh, maybe not, but there. But I, I think certainly, if the United State uh, states. Uh, um, came down on the right side, that uh, it would certainly add to the international pressure on France. And I think uh, we could conceivably uh, move, move them forward as well. The name of the book is Western Sahara, War, Nationalism, and Conflict Irresolution by Stephen Zunas, my guest, a leading scholar of the Middle East and North Africa. And, and Stephen, um, we, we just have a few minutes left. And I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know how they can find out more about what we're we're talking about. Obviously, 
your book as updated is a uh, uh, great place to start. Um, but are, are there some, some resources that you could uh, recommend? Do you have a website, for example? Certainly, I do have a website. It's, it's a little, uh, I'm uh, a little behind in updating it, unfortunately. It's uh, stephenzunes.org, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-Z-U-N-E-S. And there's a drop-down menu for various articles, and there's a section on, um, on Western uh, you know, Sahara. Um, I've also had some recent op-eds in, in the Washington Post uh, and on MSN and uh, other uh, accessible uh, websites if, if people want to, uh, to look there. What, um, when did the book first come out, Stephen? It, it first came out uh, a little over 10 years ago. And it was a it was a hardback at a university press. It cost about fifty bucks or something, and <laughs> and so so it didn't get didn't get a a, 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 a lot of sales, but uh, it did get some very good reviews. Uh, 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 former senator and, and 1972 presidential nominee George McGovern wrote the foreword. There were some nice blurbs by uh, by Ted Kennedy and and uh, as well as endorsements from the you know, leading academic journals. What we did for this new edition is not only expand it and update it, but come out and paperback edition so it's a lot cheaper <laughs> and um and it uh, and it, it really focuses on the the the, uh, the recent developments the resumption of the armed struggle the u.s uh, recognition and 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 the role that global civil society might play in moving things forward because when you think of a East Timor, for example, which was a similar situation of late decolonization, a powerful neighbor invades uh, on the verge of independence, and the uh, United Nations Security Council is blocked by uh, uh, the, the, the invaders' uh, allies, on the, uh, allies on the Security Council. Um, there was a global civil society movement that essentially shamed uh, the uh, supporters of Indonesia uh, to force them to allow for a referendum, and, and, uh, and East Timor became free. Similar global civil society efforts helped uh, end apartheid in South Africa. And so this may be the, the best hope uh, for Western Sahara, that um, people make it an issue, that people get alerted by it. So in making this uh, second edition updated and more accessible to people, we really are hoping to, to raise consciousness, quite frankly, and, uh, and, and get people to pressure their, their members of Congress and others uh, to... Um, to change U.S. policy, uh, uh, rescind the uh, recognition of the uh, illegal uh, takeover, and uh, work for the right of self-determination. And whether the people of, of Western Sahara choose integration in Morocco or independence, it's totally up to them. I don't take sides on it, but they need to have that choice. Um, you know, other, otherwise, it's a very, very bad precedent for international law and, and global security. How much did uh, Donald, Donald Trump's action and Joe Biden's inaction prompt the or or play a starring role in the update to the book? It, it's a it's a major factor that we put in in the last, <laughs> I would think. Last, last chapter and 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 the like. Uh, um, you know, it's readers from all over, but it's, again, it's particular interest uh, to Americans, uh, given the uh, key role that the United States is playing. Well, my guest is Stephen Sunis, and Stephen, we're out of time, but I really appreciate you spending uh, some of your time and your expertise with me and the listeners uh, this morning. Thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. I really appreciate it. Take care. That was Stephen Zunas. The uh, name of the book, again, is Western Sahara, 
War, Nationalism, and Conflict, Conflict Irresolution. Let me read that again. Western Sahara, War, Nationalism, and Conflict Irresolution. And we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program right after this. Hey, (laughs) this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flood Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. 
Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the dip. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal agent. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? She's smart. She takes speed, the tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. And then I collect these paper bags, and I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have Yes, one. speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor, and your mother's doctor, and your college roommate's doctor, and your best friend from high school's doctor. Oh, I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I went to see a, a play right here lately. It was one of them classical plays, and it was uh, it was wrote by a fellow named William Shakespeare that lived over here in the old country here a while back. And it's a play. It's called Hamlet. And it was named after this young boy, Hamlet, that appeared in the play. And it was pretty good, except that they don't speak as good English as we do. <laughs> now, let's see. Hamlet, he, he, lived, he lived in this castle over in the old country with his mama and daddy. You know where it was that his daddy was king over this land. And also living with him there was a fellow named Claudius. Now, Claudius was Hamlet's uncle on his daddy's side. And before the play ever opened, this fellow Claudius plotted and killed Hamlet's daddy so that he might gain the throne and then married Hamlet's mama. And that made him Hamlet's stepdaddy. And, well, all do try to remember that if you can because you will need it later on. Now, there was a fellow Polonius. He lived there. He was a kind of advisor to the king. And there was a fellow named Horatio. He was Hamlet's buddy. He lived there. Then there was a girl named Ophelia that was visiting there. He, she was Hamlet's sweetheart that he had met at BYPU. <laughs> and, uh, well, there's all, there's all kinds of maids and soldiers and stable boys and things like that that live there too, you know. And remember, before the play ever opens up, Hamlet's daddy's already dead. And when it, when it opens up, it opens up on these two soldiers that was a standing guard one night. And this ghost come up on them. And one, 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 of them says, one of them says, hark. Said, no, they said hark a whole lot back then. <laughs> he, said, he says, hark, what thing is this I see before me? And the other one says, let us flee and seek out young Hamlet. For behold, it bears a visage like unto his father. And it, it did too. It looked just exactly like him. <laughs> You couldn't took a better picture uptown. They, they were in the house to get Hamlet, but he had just come in from high school and was tired and had went on to bed. But anyhow, they told him about it, and he got on up and put his britches on and went on outdoors with them. And when he got there, the ghost started talking to him. Says, Behold, Hamlet, says, Look on me, for I am the ghost of thy father. 
Then it went on to tell him, you know, how it was that Claudius had plotted and killed him, you know, like I told you a while ago. <laughs> well, when it got on telling him, it made Hamlet swear to seek out vengeance on his former uncle and present stepdaddy, Claudius. And after Hamlet swore it, while the ghost went on off, and none of them ever seen it after that. And it, w it was right there that Hamlet gave that soliloquy about being or not being. And, uh, well, for them that don't know, a soliloquy is a kind of a self-talk. You know, it is where you kindly, you know, sit and look away off and kindly talk to yourself. And that's what he was doing. Only he wasn't sitting down, he was walking. And when he, when he come close to the end of it, he come up on this young girl, Ophelia, and he says to himself, he says, soft, I see Ophelia fire. <laughs> well, he sat down and started talking to her. Asked her how she was and how her daddy was and how her mama was and different ones. And while he was talking, he looked and he seen a fella hiding behind a cedar chest. And he did, and he took out his sword and he run the fella. He run him upstairs and he run him downstairs. But he couldn't catch him and it made him mad and he come back to Ophelia mad at her. And he hit her in the face and he throwed her on the ground. And he, he, he says, get thee to a nunnery for thy face is a vile thing before my eyes. Now, it, it was right here that Hamlet first started acting like that he wasn't all that. <laughs> well, he, see, well, See, he figured, he figured that the people that plotted and killed his daddy thought that he wasn't right in his mind, they'd talk around him, you know, but, but they didn't. One night he was up in his mama's room telling her good night, and he looked over there and he seen these curtains rustle just the least little bit. And he eased out his sword, and he, he aged over to where it was the curtains was rustling, and he run the fella through. And the fella fell, and he seen it was that fella Polonius that I told you about a while ago. <laughs> well, what he'd done, he picked him up and took him over and throwed him out this little window in this creek that run by, and none of them ever missed him after that. <laughs> and it was right after that that this carnival come through, sideshow, show folks, you know. They come through, and Hamlet had them to put on a show exactly the way that the murder of the king was committed. And let me tell you, when they got to the place in the play that the king was killed, Hamlet's stepdaddy got up out of his chair and he says, hold. He says, cease this wild carrying on and evil acting in the palace of the king. And he run them all out of the house. And it was right there that Hamlet first knowed that he was going to have to get even with his stepdaddy for killing his daddy. And it was also right there that Hamlet's stepdaddy knowed that he was going to have to get shut of that boy or he'd have trouble out of it. <laughs> well, what he done... What he'd done was the next day he put on a big sword fight between Hamlet and another fella. And he, he give this other fella a sword with a poison point on it. And he give Hamlet a plain sword and he had a bowl full of poison wine for Hamlet to drink just in case he won the sword fight. Well, he put up his hands and he says, lay on. And they went to it, Hamlet back the fella and he fell it back Hamlet and back and forth like that for a while till pretty soon Hamlet got cut on the arm by that poison sword. And he commenced to weaken, but he fit harder than he ever did. And he kept a backing the fellow off and a backing him off till he run him through. And the fellow fell dead. And Hamlet went over to take a drink of that poison wine. And his mama, she knowed it was poison. She took it and drunk it herself, and she fell dead. And then Hamlet, with his last breath, went up to his stepdaddy and run him through. And the stepdaddy fell dead. 
And then Hamlet, he had done about all he could do, and he <laughs> fell down. <laughs> and it's a pretty good show. <laughs> and, and the moral of it is, though, I reckon, if you, if you was to ever kill a fella and then marry his wife, I'd be extra careful not to tell my stepson. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. I have to lay low for a while, so I'll be staying here inside. It's too dangerous out in the world. I'll see you on the other side. I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side We're all in for a bumpy ride You hear. I hold on to this phone so tight Then I'll whisper you a goodnight kiss I'll see you on the other side When I crawl out of my cage When the world is purified I will find you and I promise this I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side on the other side and I'll meet you with arms open wide I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side and I'll meet you with arms open wide I'll see you on the other side it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to all my guests. Um, starting with this last hour with Stephen Zunas talking about Western Sahara and why it matters. And uh, before that, talking with uh, best-selling author and radio host Tom Hartman in an encore presentation of uh, our interview about his book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. Um, seemed kind of interesting with Supreme Court and the news. And, of course, starting out this morning, talking about uh, the philosophies of Ayn Rand with a distinguished fellow of the Ayn Rand Institute, Peter Schwartz. Well, that wraps it up. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. 
we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.